Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. I don't have a pun for this one. Do you happen to... Oh, wait. Are are you recording right now? Yeah. Oh. Oh, boy. What's this up? is embarrassing. Why? Well, I... I mean, we can I just edit this... this out. What? Oh, no, no, about... no. No, no, no. I thought this conversation was going to be private, but it seems as though... Oh, but see... That's actually so. It's a two-party consent state. Uh, you, you, and I both live in two-party consent states because you're in California and I'm in Illinois. So yeah, it's actually illegal for me to be recording this without your knowledge and consent. Oh, well, you could pretend, and and that would be my joke. Because uh, <laughs> we're <laughs> uh, you are listening to. If you're confused, you won't be in a moment. Linear digressions. <laughs> so, so the theme today, everyone, <laughs> is uh, when data that is, let's say, collected under the assumption of privacy becomes uh-huh. public, uh, yeah. sometimes on purpose, uh, sometimes, well, usually it's it's made public on purpose with some kind of thinking that privacy is being protected uh, of the individuals involved and the places where that assumption can go awry, let's say. Um, I would like to say a thing, please. which is that the only reason I don't have a pun today is because I'm currently wearing shorts. I'm not wearing my pantalones. Um, maybe next week. Wow, that was a long silence. <laughs> I, like, I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So let's, yeah, let's, let's move on to the episode. Okay. <laughs> Um, so, so we had we had a recent episode about how great it is that data science is being more open and transparent and public yeah. and all this sort of stuff. Um, and I kind of sat down and wrote a bunch of notes for that episode about, well, you know, what are my thoughts on that and why is that so great? And then immediately started writing notes that are the flip side of that. Like, oh, what are the dangers of making data science analyses public? One thing uh, what I are some of the ways that goes said. wrong? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, yeah, one thing I remember that you did say was that some people, uh, a lot of companies will open source the algorithms or the the models, uh, but not as many uh, make the data uh, available. Mm -hmm. And that that is like, that's a lot more rare. And this is kind of a, I I guess this is, I wonder if we're going to find out part of the reason why. I mean, part of it is that the data is more useful as a competitive advantage, right? Yes, definitely. And I would also say that, I mean, the biggest issue is privacy, I would say. Uh, Mm. So you work at Facebook, for example. There's a lot of people who put data on Facebook that they don't want the whole world to know, or it's not their assumption that, like, just anybody could access any of that data. For example, if you're exchanging messages with one of your friends, which may be the expectation that those messages, maybe you you understand if Facebook is using those for some internal research purposes or something like that, but there's not the expectation that those would ever be made public, even if they were removing any personally identifiable information from it. That's just like not yeah. how you expect it to go. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know that companies like Facebook and Google have a tremendous incentive to make sure that that is not compromised, right? Because yes. the like the core of their product, the core of Google and Facebook and, and many other companies' product is that uh, what you do on the platform and what you put into the platform is secure and is private, right? And that's why companies like Google and Facebook invest so much in both uh, security, 
uh, physical and data security and, and all of that and penetration detection systems and, and also uh, privacy systems. But I remember in the past, we did an episode and you were telling me about Netflix and mm-hmm. how they released a data set. I'm just, uh, this is from memory, so tell me if I, if I get this uh, right or wrong. But if I remember right, they released a data set of anonymized users' uh, movie use, like uh, movie watching uh, patterns. What movies that people had watched and, and uh, what movies each user had not. And of course the names and all of the details, the personally identifiable details were scrubbed from there. But someone took that data set and then cross-referenced it with IMDB user accounts and were actually able to identify the people through there. So even when you release a data set and you think you've done a pretty darn good job of scrubbing personally identifiable information from it, there are still ways that it can bite you in the butt that you can't necessarily foresee. I mean, yeah, that was actually just about perfect. Uh, And in particular, they were... I remember one of the things that people really didn't like about this was they were able to basically out people as gay um, based on presumably their movie choices. So it was, it it wasn't just, Oh, here's your movie watching habits. Like, ha ha ha. You watched Cinderella six times last week or like whatever weird thing, but like there might actually be really personal (laughs) stuff in there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's a really, that's a really famous example. Um, And the thing that's interesting that you said there is why what we call like anonymization or de-identification is so hard, which is that usually the most interesting data sets that you could use are the ones that are the most granular. So they're not rolled up at any level. You're not saying something like, oh, well, there's 10,000 people who watched this movie. You're having 10,000 rows in your database that are saying this person watched this movie, this person watched this movie. Um, And that's the most flexible data that you can have, but it's also the most detailed and what can happen is sort of the picture that you just had where even if you scrub away some of that personally identifying information, like the name of the person, uh, that there can still be clues in that data that allow you to link it back to other data sets that might have something like PII. So there's maybe other, sorry, personally identifiable information. So there's kind of two half pictures that sometimes you can put together to create a whole picture. And of course, the people who are putting these data sets out there can't do it with full and complete knowledge of every data set that might be already out there uh, floating around or that could be released in the future. And so there's no way of knowing what a data set could be joined with such that it could be like weaponized like that. Interesting. Yeah. And then there's the other element of it, which is, I mean isn't not not from a social level but from a technical level isn't this the whole point of machine learning like to find patterns that are not necessarily identif- uh, uh, that are not necessarily obvious in a large data set i mean that's kind of what you're doing in so many of these cases and so if you release a data set that you believe you have scrubbed everything from And even if you assume that there's nothing out there in the world already that you can join it with, you don't know that there aren't patterns in that data that could be uh, bad if they were exposed. That like there there just may be some patterns that you're not aware of or that you're not able currently to identify that maybe in five years or 10 years or if someone happens to look in the right place, they, they might be able to. 
Sure, yeah. And there are some ways that you can try to decrease the chances of that happening. So there's ways that you can basically fuzz out the data so that it becomes harder to re-identify. But there's a particular case that I was reading about this weekend that um, is a good example of this. So there was a data set that some researchers in Australia wanted to make public for research purposes. So doing, I'm not sure if maybe some people were doing machine learning on it, but also just like regular statistical analysis of how are people using uh, medical care in Australia. And so what this was, was a data set of about 3 million people, um, medical billing records. So this is, I think, roughly like 10% of the population of Australia. This is a huge data set. And they had scrubbed it of any personally identifying information, like name, for example. Um, but for all of the patients, they would have things like year of birth. And if you know someone's year of birth, that all of a sudden can narrow things down a whole lot. Um, yeah, by like an order of magnitude or more. Yes. Uh, and in particular, the stuff that people were able to figure out was they were able to identify, this was really granular, like procedure by procedure data for these folks. And they were able to cross-reference it with uh, particularly high profile cases of like celebrities and athletes who had gotten medical procedures. So it might be like an oh. athlete has to undergo knee surgery wow. or something that'll make the newspapers. And you can figure out if you know something like a year of birth that a person had a medical, had a knee surgery within a certain time window. And like, I don't know, maybe one other thing like a city, or you can identify it from other patterns in the data. Like you've just re-identified a person's like potentially their complete medical history. Oh, that's yeah. terrifying. <laughs> that's terrifying. This, um, I, I had a thought actually just a second ago, uh, have you ever built a chicken coop? I have not. Okay, uh, I have not either, but I have a lot of friends who have, and I sometimes build things out of wood. So I'll just pretend that I have. Um, sure. If you build a chicken coop of sufficient size, it seems pretty simple. You know, you build your wooden structure, you get a bunch of chicken wire, and you you um, staple it in and everything like that, and you you bring it all that you make it so that way there are no holes. And then you have a chicken coop and then you, you get your chicken or your chickens and you put them in the chicken coop. And then somehow the next morning they're standing outside the chicken coop and you're like, how the heck did you get out? <laughs> so you, you go, you, you search, you can't find it. Finally, you find a little hole, you patch that hole. How'd I miss that before? Well, anyway, I'm really certain that this is bulletproof. Now you put the chickens back in and the next day, of course, there's another chicken standing outside the chicken coop. It kind of feels like, like this is that's like a more colloquial and comedic example of of like of, of doing this although the worst outcome of your chicken coop example is you lose a chicken and but in these other examples you can have far yeah, like worse, real privacy brief like, breaches yeah, yeah real privacy breaches and they're privacy breaches that are not of you they're not yours you know they're other yeah. people yeah so a second interesting case here that uh, got a lot of attention recently in the last few weeks. Do you use a fitness tracker, like a Fitbit? Um, or I used a Fitbit for a while, actually, and, and I used Google Fit on my phone. Okay, cool. So the general idea here, I don't, I've never actually really used one, but they're simple enough. It's like a bracelet that pings a satellite in most cases and uh, then is keeping track of like your GPS coordinates. And so a lot of times you'll use it to like go running and make sure you're getting all your miles in or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. And so there's this app called Strava, and I think this is right, an app, not a device. Too. Is it a device or an app? Uh, Strava is Strava. An app, thank you. And I, they might they might have a device. I know they also connect to uh, cycling devices that log your position and all of that stuff. And so back when I was cycling more, uh, I would connect it up. It would track all of the metrics on my bike and also my location. And then I'd get home and I'd plug it into the computer and it would upload all of that stuff to Strava and I would be able to see uh, metrics and maps and even like share them with friends. And it was, it was really cool. Yeah, so I'm glad you got but to that share them with friends aspect. I'm a, I'm a little frightened. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, this because is, the fact that you're bringing this up probably means something bad. Um, well, it might not go where you're thinking it's going to go. So, but the general idea, like you said, is that there's kind of this social networking aspect to it. So, the expectation that, uh, as it turns out, the defaults, as I understand them, are not necessarily that your stuff would be private. It's not that it would be shared on a individual level, even anonymized, but that it would be like rolled up with, let's say everyone who's in your city. And I think one of the things that they'll do is they'll make like maps of an area that you're in and shows like, Oh, here are the places where people go biking. And then you go biking there and be like, Hey, wow, you did really fast on this route compared to all the other people who bike here. And you know, it's just kind of like number 35 on this hill. Yeah. This cool social aspect to it. Right. Here's the thing that happens though. There was a, I think it it was like a graduate student or like a researcher who found a bunch of these heat maps. So Strava was publishing what they're calling heat maps. And so those are sort of these satellite images uh, that are overlaid with geographies, but they're overlaid with where people are working out. And so you can see, I'm sure if you had one of Chicago, for example, like the Lakefront Trail would be really hot. And there's a there's an old rail line here called the 606 and you see a bunch of people running there and whatever. And so you can see visually kind of satellites eye view of where people are working out. Now, here's the thing is that then this person took that and started looking in places like Afghanistan and Syria and places where there's military installations that are not necessarily super high profile or that where we would necessarily want, uh, let's say, various nefarious actors to know where, in this case, soldiers are working out and like running their laps. Wow. So they can see the lifestyle patterns. Like, I think this is in general against the rules of the military. So this is shouldn't have happened in the first place. And I just want to like acknowledge that up front, but like happens. And so what you can see is basically these light spots, again, maybe in places where there wasn't a super high profile military base. And it's like where the soldiers are hanging out. So this will be like where they run their laps, where they're walking to and from work, you know, maybe where they're like sleeping. Um, So this was not stuff that was supposed to be public, let's say. Um, But it was because, you know, (laughs) that's pretty bad. Yeah. So it was, you can see a lot of these pictures on Twitter. They're kind of interesting. Um, and it made like front page news on, on a, a number of newspapers fairly recently. And, and Strava, I think was, it's sounded, like PR trying to do some, there. doing some damage control on this one. Um, and yeah. like, I'm, I'm sure that there was like some folks in the military who got their Fitbits taken away or whatever, but to a certain extent, I'm not sure how much the damage can be undone in the sense that. Mm-hmm 
now there's like kind of all these things that were military secrets that probably aren't military secrets anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a different version of the same story. I'm not. I think there's backdoor ways that you can probably use this data set also to reverse engineer identities of individual people and that kind of thing, like we were yeah. talking about in like kind of the more common case. But the, the aggregates themselves tell you something that like maybe wasn't supposed to be public. But you know, this was all being done kind of in an automated fashion by computers, and they don't have a sense of like what people are supposed to know or not. I guess. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, thinking thinking back to when I was using Strava, I remember that. Uh, assuming I'm remembering correctly, it might have been uh, my Fitbit, but I think it was Strava. I remember that they had a feature that they introduced, which was basically like track my track my run up to within however many feet or miles of my house. In other words, like when you put my run online, don't say where I actually started, you know, because then people will be able to figure out where I live, where my actual house is. Because when I would look at these things, I would, I would literally see myself walk down my path in my front yard and then start jogging along my street. So, you know, that's not the best. But the good thing is that some engineer or some product designer or someone at Strava thought, oh, you know, we're, we're tracking people and, you know, people would be able to figure nefarious people would be able to figure out where these people live. That's not so good. Let's make a feature that helps them anonymize. But the only reason that that feature was introduced is because some human thought, hmm, this could be used in this nefarious or bad way. And so we need to work against that. Probably when they were making the heat map, they thought, okay, this is ridiculously anonymized. You're not going to be able to figure out where people live from this. You're not going to be able to figure out individual identities from this. And they didn't think of it. They didn't think about the failure case that they ended up hitting with the, the you know, secret military base personnel. And so they didn't protect against it. And they rolled out something that then, you know, the computers dutifully did. Yeah, it's kind of this unknown unknown problem where, you know, in retrospect, of, of course, it's clear how this could have happened. But at sure. the time, you think you're taking every every reasonable precaution. You just there's just like a lot of things that you can't think of everything. It's just so really hard. So I have a question for you, and I, I feel bad asking it because I think it's an unreasonable question to ask you. But if these things were unknown unknowns, how could we have prevented them? Uh, or could we? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess my initial reaction to that is maybe this is a little too forgiving. Is I'm. It's it's hard for me to sit here and say like I wouldn't have made this mistake if I were in their right. place. I guess the thing that's hard is when you see people kind of making the same mistake that other folks have already made. So the idea that you could, for example, re-identify individual level medical records, like, I feel like that's a mistake that we've, we've probably made something that feels structurally similar to that mistake before. Like there's probably been a data set before that, where you could do something like that. So I think what, what is disappointing is sometimes when you're like, yeah, we, we should have seen this one coming. Like you're allowed to make a mistake the first time in my book, but like the second time you should make a different mistake. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, 
stuff like the Strava heat map and then thinking about how that could be cross-referenced against military installations. I like, I don't know. I I can't sit here and say that if I worked at Strava, that would have been a thing that I thought about. Um, I guess this is why there's like lawyers and bureaucracy and procedures (laughs) and, and risk departments and people that it's their job to think about that. And I'm, I'm kind of not one of them by training. I'm, physicist slash data scientist by training but i think maybe what i'm arguing is that we as data scientists are increasingly on the front lines of this and you know there's a lot of introspection and maybe action in the data science community right now to be more responsible about this kind of stuff and yeah so i guess that's kind of all i can ask for is for people to take that stuff seriously i guess it seems like the as as we see machine learning data science ai all of these things and the way that they're the the way that they're developing and the things that they're doing that impacts the world around us um and the power that they have both for good and also for uh unintentionally causing harm it seems to me that the best we can really do is just be more cautious generally uh and and that's kind of, I mean, to what you said, you know, maybe we should have people who are trained more in risk management who also understand uh, the technologies and are relatively uh, uh, well acquainted with the different failure cases that we've seen, you know. Um, I also think that there is some amount of responsibility that falls on someone who's going into that field. If you're working on something that could inadvertently cause harm just by the nature of of the power of the technology that you're working with, then I think to some degree it is your responsibility to think through these possible failure cases and try to guard against them. Yeah, I agree. I think I recognize how challenging that is, though, Yeah. especially, as we said kind of at the outset, this is in some tension with another ideal, which is openness and transparency, and that we want to be able to share our work with one another and just recognizing that there's just some tension between those two that having really rich open source data sets that have things like interesting information about people, like that's, I don't see a way to totally reconcile that with the need to protect privacy. Like I, I think that we should learn to live with this tension and we should always like be holding both of those ideals in our head, but also acknowledge it's really challenging to do both of them at the same time. Maybe impossible, but I'll yeah. just say really challenging for now. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of times with new technologies or new science or new discoveries, we see that it can do, like many of these things can do great benefit, uh, have great benefits in the world, but they can also be used uh, for harming people or for uh doing things that are not so good. In this case, it's a little bit different because although you can use, you know, machine learning for for evil, I imagine someone with her the tips, fingertips pressed together, you know, in the, in the chair that turns, you also have a lot of well-meaning individuals doing bad things accidentally. And that's not something that you see all that often, or at least with a lot of these discoveries, you know? Usually the bad that happens is because someone takes 
a new technology or a new discovery and, and like wields it with uh, with malintent. Sure. But this is a case where just by trying to do something good, like share something openly so that way other people can stand on, on the shoulders of your work, you can do harm. So I think we're probably reaching the point where we should be wrapping up, but I, I do yeah. want to acknowledge that there's some like kind of fun technical workarounds for some of this that don't always, they, they aren't always like perfect and we should do another episode on this, but there are ways like homomorphic encryption. And I think we've maybe also talked about differential privacy and K anonymization um, mm-hmm. ways that, well, differential privacy and K anonymization, I think can still be well, maybe they couldn't be. No, that might be okay. Anyway, a uh, topic for another day, but um, right. there are some ways, I guess I want to acknowledge, take back a little bit what I said a minute ago. Uh, if you're willing to make some compromises, there are ways that you can protect the privacy of people in these data sets, um, but they're pretty hard. Uh, so we'll get to that some other time, but I, someone would point it out to me if I if I hadn't set it up front. And they're pretty interesting, so we should do this at some point. Anyway, I realize that was kind of a uh, kind of a teaser way to end the episode, but uh, yeah. Um, But I hope that uh, you know the first however many minutes of this podcast, you've learned something worthwhile, even if it wasn't. We didn't get all the way to homomorphic encryption. Um, Oh, we'll um, get there. Yeah. Okay. But in the meantime, uh, be careful and thoughtful. It's trickier out there than you might think. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.